Yo, yo, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode five of the Golf Strong Project. My name is Dr. Jackson Taylor, coming to you live from Jacksonville Beach, Florida, joined as always by my Bostonian brethren, Dr. Tim Ravoto. Tim, what's up? Nothing. Another good week. Not too much rain up here. The rain seems to be going. It poured a little yesterday, but we've got sunshine in July here. Like every podcast starts with weather. That's it. I'm a big weather guy. Golf is a big weather sport. You got to know your weather. You know what I mean? Uh, here, you can't play between the hours of two and six because the chances of monsoons and lightning strikes are at like 60 to 70% every night. Yeah, I'm, I'm good on that. But, but hey, what are you going to do? Nothing. So we are going to have a little fun conversation today. So we're going to talk about considerations, specifically training considerations for the golfer. And that's going to be things such as a professional golfer versus an amateur golfer or a newly, a new novice training, or you've not been in the weight room before versus someone who's been training their whole life or they've played multiple sports and they've been in the weight room. They understand it. Uh, we're going to get a little bit into things such as what old and young golfers should do. And then probably wrap up a little bit talking about different goals that people have, whether that be they want to lose weight, they want to get stronger, they want to have bigger muscles. I'd love to look good naked in my Speedo in Venice Beach, whatever it ends up being. We're going to talk about all those fun things today. So that's our main goal. Uh, we're going to run through all of that and just just make it happen. So let's start first with kind of this discussion of pro golfers versus amateur golfers in how training looks maybe and we'll, we'll dabble a little bit especially into how their golf training looks but specifically their fitness training so uh, first of all let's define how we're going to define professional versus amateur so tim what does that look like to us for this conversation anyways yeah so pros professional golfers we're talking anyone that um, basically makes money or makes a primary living off of playing golf right so pga tour lpga tour european tour um corn ferry um even like some of the mini tours so, you know if you're like getting by playing mini tour events every weekend and playing through the summer i'd, I'd consider you a pro golfer too um and then if we're talking to amateur we're more talking like you or i like just people playing on the weekends a couple days a week just trying to get out there have fun get some movement in and uh play play better golf every week 99.99% of the golfers in the world. That's it. The majority. Pretty much. Which is who we're going to speak to most directly, um, at least for today's conversation. We want to explain to the majority of our audience, which is going to be amateur golfers, uh, what your consideration should be relative to pros. Because obviously you look at the front of Golf Digest, you're looking at any website, and you're getting a lot of info on, well, this is how DJ trains, or this is how Justin Thomas trains, and this is what they do. And yes, there's some overlap there, but there are some differences that we have to look at. Um, so the first one I think we should really talk about is scheduling. And pros versus amateurs do not have the same schedules. You know, the average person has a job. They've got a family, they've got kids, and they don't make money playing golf. Whereas professional golfers, that's what they do for a living. Their life is golf. They live, eat, sleep, breathe golf. So when it comes to scheduling, Tim, why is that an important piece of an amateur golfer's consideration? Yeah, well, it's going to, it is going to be time out of your free time, right? Because if you've got work, if you've got kids with playing sports or stuff like that, I mean, there is a narrow window to fit it in. But uh, it's like we talked about last week, the benefits of having some sort of physical activity or exercise or training, just basically a time scheduled during the week that you can test your body and push it a little bit and, you know, uh, pick things up, put them down, push things around and just kind of get moving. The better you're going to be physically, mentally. And when you actually do get out on the golf course on the weekend, you're going to be feeling, uh, feeling much better. So scheduling wise, it, you might have a tighter window or a shorter window, you know, where a pro might take 90 minutes a day to really work on their body on strength on power. And we can talk about whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, but they, they probably have a little more time to dedicate directly to their body. Whereas 
you know, if you if you're an average Joe, you've got a lot pulling you in in several different directions. Yeah, and I think something to piggyback on that is the fact that with that time being so limited, understand that yes, we want to get better at golf, and that's an important piece of our life. So that also means that we don't want your training time to take away from your golfing time. And again, like Tim just said, the average pro golfer's got that extra time per day to devote to the gym where it doesn't really impact any of their practice time or playing time. Because the average amateur golfer wants to just go play more golf. They want to go play nine holes during the week. Uh, and they just want to get better that way. So we don't want to impinge, especially for people that have tough schedules where they get out of work at 4.35 o'clock and they want to try and go get in a few holes or get to the range before that closes – Obviously, we don't want to impinge on that time with training. So that's a big consideration when it comes to figuring out what the right program is for you, including how many days per week mm -hmm. you're going to train. Um, I know that I always start with the, like we've discussed already, physical activity guidelines from last week. If I can get you in the gym twice a week, we can make changes. Even if it's just twice a week, you might not be able to get in there five days a week. Uh, or even three days a week, like many pros are, or like many other people who have just different schedules than you do. But if I can get two good days out of you a week in the gym, that makes all the difference in the world. You don't have to go do the exact same workout that Justin Thomas is doing in order for you to improve your physical well-being to play better golf. You have to do what is best for you. And for some people, doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing, especially if we can make those two days that you're in the gym as pertinent and specific to you so that you can improve in whatever ways those are. Definitely. And you, it, not only your own schedule counts here, but the gym schedule too, right? Cause I know my yeah. gym is really busy. Yeah. If I were to go after work at anywhere from probably, well, really four o'clock to six o'clock, it's going to be mobbed, mm -hmm. right? So you're yeah. not, you're not going to be as effective. So it's not really the best time of day to go. So knowing that you'd, you'd yeah. want to work around your, you know, your schedule for the week, what you have after work and that sort of thing. You know, what, what's a time of day that you can get there easily as far as traffic and all that and how, how much actual foot traffic is in the gym as well. So you can just get in, do your stuff, get out. You're not, you know, bumping elbows with people fighting over equipment or that sort of thing. Right. Absolutely. And that actually kind of ties well into one of the other considerations that we have, which is equipment. Mm -hmm. And for so sure. the average pro has whatever they want, whenever they want it. The average amateur is going to have different gym setups. They might only be able to work out from home. They might have a gym, but like you just said, they can only go at certain times. And so it's important for people to understand that there's also not one piece of equipment that is necessary for training. You know, if you don't have a barbell, that's okay. Right. If you don't have some of these boxes to jump on, if you don't have some of these medicine balls to use, that's okay. We're going to be able to adapt without having those. And a lot of times, like we just talked about, people get caught up in, well, if it's not the exact same thing that some of these pros are doing, it's really not going to benefit me the way that I would like it to. And so it's important to realize that no matter what your equipment is, we can optimize it. We can use it in a way that is effective. That could be something as simple as, hey, you only have one kettlebell or you have a set of dumbbells to 25 pounds. Do you know how much stuff you can do with implements that light? I mean, shoot, TRX has made a living off of a single piece of equipment being able to do a lot. Now, is it going to necessarily optimize your physical capabilities? Maybe not, but they're going to improve. You can get stronger. You can get more powerful. You can improve the trainable qualities of the golfer. So Yes, if we have more equipment, we can do more stuff, but we don't need all of it. So don't get caught up thinking you have to get some crazy gym membership or you have to go spend three grand on a house gym to get all of these things. Golfers are notorious for spending money for no reason. They'll go buy things, the newest trinket that will help fix their slice or the newest trinket that's going to add 20 yards to my drive. They go buy these things, they use them for a week, and then they're gone. They're not consistent things we can use. So it's important to understand that you don't need all the, these crazy bells and whistles. You need less gimmicky stuff and more your programming needs to look specific to you, improving the qualities of mobility, power, and strength that the golfer needs to perform. 100%. And you, really, I like to start people with home workouts 
where they don't have much. Like if they only, if they say, all right, I've got 10 pound dumbbells and that's it. Sometimes that's awesome. Cause then you're just building the habit of doing something two days a week, three days a week, however often, you know, fits with your schedule and what your goals. But then you've built the habit off of very minimal. And then now you have the habit so you can buy a couple extra pieces of equipment or, you know, then, then expand the home gym. Once you know, okay, I like this, I've got stuff I can do. I'm feeling good. You know, then, then you can start looking into some of the, the fancier stuff. I agree. You can always get more, mm-hmm. you can always get more. Um, but a lot of times you just have to start with getting people to move their own bodies a little bit. That's it. Which is, which is part of the battle. And I, and I think that that's important for people to notice here too, is that a lot of people think that they need to go from zero to a hundred when it comes to training. So I just had this conversation. I did a seminar yesterday over at um, Sawgrass Country Club. And we talked about how, because somebody asked, well, how many days a week do I need to train? That's an important thing, mm-hmm. right? And this is where our next consideration comes is, well, how much have you trained in the past? How much are you training now? If you're a completely sedentary person for the most part and all you're doing is golfing, adding just two days a week of training is actually a lot for you. That's mm-hmm. that's doing way more than you were doing before. That's probably where we're going to start is just getting two good days in. But if you are, you know, Tim and you're training four or five days a week right now, we're not necessarily going to change that. We're just going to look at what those workouts are and adjust them based on what we think he needs. So it's, it's important to understand that every person is going to have a little bit of a different starting point. We see all of these template programs. Um, it's one of the reasons that I believe so much in coaching, like what Tim and I do, is because we're able to create something that is you specific. Because you might download some program and say, this is, you know, this is Dustin Johnson's 12 weeks to a better swing program. And sure, maybe it'll help you. But are you able to actually do five days a week of training? Do you have the prerequisite equipment to do this 12 weeks of training? Are you competent in any of these movements that are being asked of you? You know, all of those things, there's always nuance and there has to be context when we're talking about what people's training looks like. So if you're not training at all, I don't expect you to go to four days a week of training and just be like, yeah, this is great the chances are you're not going to stick with it. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand is that your program does not have to go from zero to a hundred. In fact, there's some people that are really on the top end scale. Like if I've got someone who's like, yeah, dude, I'm training five days a week and I'm in there in the morning and then I hit the range in the afternoon and I got like three extra cardio days that are three cardio workouts I'm doing at these different dates. Those are the kind of people I'm like, Hey, we need to like rein some of this in because your energy is being expended in areas that aren't actually benefiting your golf game or really your health at this point. Cause you just keep telling me that you're like exhausted, but you just got to keep getting after it. So your personality plays a role in that. No, absolutely. And knowing, you know, what days of the week you're playing and that sort of thing can help too, because yeah. I know, you know, I used to lift five days a week, mon- basically Monday through Friday and Friday just happened to be like a heavy leg day. Then you go to play golf Saturday after a heavy leg day it doesn't go well. And, you know, I'm not playing for any money, but I want to have fun and play well. Right. So I just reorganize the week a little bit. And then you don't have that, that heavy leg feeling on, on, you know, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever day your, your golf is. So that's, that's somewhere that a coach can fit as well as just making sure we're slotting the right days for the right to target the right areas. And, you know, if you have an off season, like up here in the Northeast, basically between, you know, December and, you know, March or April, you can't really play. So you could pr- probably do some different things and play around a little bit more because being sore isn't going to, isn't going to impact your Saturday round. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it definitely takes a little trial and error. And we, I, I just want to reiterate, you don't want to go too hard too soon because we've all been there where you haven't worked out for a little while. You go to a really hard, whatever, either class at the gym or uh, you go for a really fast run or something like that. And then you're sore for like a week and you, you really can't work out for the rest of the week. So it's like, wait a second, if I went a little softer and just was a little more kinder to myself, let myself warm up to this, maybe you could have gotten in two workouts that week instead of one, you know, it's just simple. Whatever, Tim, <laughs> not going to be out here going softer. <laughs> Mamby Pamby. 
I'm sometimes not get, I'm not here to get jacked and hit bombs. <laughs> sometimes don't make yourself sore all the time. Damn it. That's uh, true. This is true. This is true. People do go too hard a lot of times, but Tim makes a good point about off seasons. And so for an amateur golfer, especially where I live in Florida, people can play all year round. They don't per se have an off season. And you know, there is something to say that not everyone needs an off season. We may just undulate people's programs based on, you know, if they've got a tournament coming up versus if they're just playing regularly and they're just working on something. So it's, that does depend. Now a professional golfer, yes, they need to be considering things like their off season because they have things like flights, travel, family that they've got to work out. They've got to work out when they've got to be with sponsors. They've got to work out when these tournaments are and what their training looks like. All those things matter. So it's important for us to always keep that in mind when we're making that up on the fly. I don't need per se someone to take a break, but sometimes it is encouraged down, like especially where I am down here where people can play year round where I'm like, hey, let's let's play maybe one less round a week over the next three weeks or four weeks, maybe even 10 weeks. And we're going to really emphasize some higher stuff in the gym based on your goals. You're like, hey, I'd really like to be a little bit more powerful, a little bit stronger. And I, I'm okay with cutting back a little bit on how much I'm golfing to do that. Yeah, we'll adjust your game plan from there. So that is a big consideration is how much you're playing golf. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So it's uh, Let's- it, there are a million ways to skin a cat, right? So you just got to find find the one you're going to do. <laughs> The one you're going to use. I like a million ways to skin a cat versus there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's at least a million. There's at least a million. Think about um, it. Or <laughs> to any cat people on here, go away. Yeah, I don't not really care cat. if we lose them. They can stay if they want, but I don't really care if we lose them. Yeah, it's, it's not a hard. <laughs> I, I just lost my girlfriend right now. She's, <laughs> she's gone, but she's a veterinarian. That's what she does. I mean, she has yeah, to so- it's all animals. Cats. It's not just cats. That's just all animals. I can't do cats. I kicked my buddy's cat not too long ago. We were watching. Uh, it's a great story. Sorry. Segway. Watching Harry Potter. This was like two years ago, maybe. And I'm sitting on the couch and I fell out. Out cold. And all of a sudden I felt like some pressure in the top of my calf. And something on my toe. And I like get out of my dazed state look down and this cat whose name is kimasabi has this <laughs> calf and his mouth around my big toe what and i like looked up and he's this big fat cat and he like takes his claws like slowly out of my calf like knowing that he's been caught <laughs> fat ass off me dude <laughs> reflex went back and kicked that cat like 15 feet and just he hits the ground and <laughs> gets back to his feet and runs off. Dude, my buddy and his wife, to this day, if you tell them that story, they just pee themselves because I absolutely booted that cat and screamed at uh oh, That was the end of my – cats were already on, like, the end there. That was the end. Cat yeah, biting I mean, my toe, we're done. We're out. Yeah, that's just a cat being a jerk. And, I mean, hey, unfortunately, They're I think all that happens more often than not. Yeah. They're all jerks. Let's just keep dogs. Isn't that right, bud? Murphy is better today, by the way. Golf strong good. family. He's he's his trachea is fine. Or the good doctor looked him over and apparently he's good to go. Right now he is just out cold preparing for our move tomorrow. But anyways. Anyways, good opportunity. Shout out to Black Rifle Coffee Company for being our unofficial official sponsor of the golf strong podcast and caffeinated excellence worldwide. We love all you do all day long, every day. That's the end of our unofficial official sponsorship. (laughs) Oh gosh. All right. Let's talk um, young and old. Let's talk about considerations for uh, a younger individual starting training versus an older individual starting training because there are going to be some some differences so tim what what are we looking at from a from a consideration there yeah so the first consideration i have especially when we're talking um young versus old is the kind of recovery process right Mm -hmm. so if you're a younger 
you're like you're likely going to recover a little quicker you could probably do a little bit more uh as far as like volume goes so to define kind of volume it's the number of sets of an exercise and times the number of reps right so if you're doing three sets of 10 you're doing you know basically 30 uh reps or so so younger people can can uh just handle a little bit more of that recover a little bit quicker whereas you know the same workout to a 50 year old might make them a little more sore or tired or just feeling the effects of the workout for uh a, a little bit longer yeah that all is completely true your younger athlete does tend to recover a little bit easier than your older athlete specifically golf um and so we just make those considerations now that doesn't necessarily mean that the older golfer doesn't work out four days a week. That just means that we're managing, like Tim was just talking about their volume. So my younger athlete might have days where they're going to lift heavier per se, which is an increase in volume, right? The weight being used does change the volume because three sets of 10 of my body weight may not be a lot of volume. Three sets of 10 at 200 pounds could be a lot of volume for me. So those things are going to be subjective to the person. So Yes, we're going to have some changes in their volumes, but a lot of it's going to be what they can handle. It's one of the reasons why I use the RPE scale for every client that I work with is because it allows me to have a way to see how hard they are working and can recover from how hard they are working. So we'll do a, a whole talk on RPE at, at some point, um, but that does make a role. The other thing that we have to consider is Generally speaking, younger people do not have as many medical issues mm -hmm. as those who are older. So when it comes to obesity, although that seems to be changing, and that is a really tragic thing for the U.S. is childhood obesity. Um, but obesity, smoking, we're talking about high blood pressure, diabetes, coronary artery disease, all of those things tend to be more present in our older populations. That's just the natural part of life. You don't see a lot of 20 year old kids dying of heart disease. And so we have to understand those things when it comes to, or you need to understand that as a older golfer, that what physical limitations are we dealing with? Or are you dealing with that we have to work around? You know, maybe you are a type two diabetic and we need to start figuring out, you know, maybe getting you with a nutritionist and getting you on a fitness program. That's not going to look like my 25 year old who's full of piss and vinegar and the world is their oyster. That's a really important thing because people will just go gung ho and they're not considering some of their, you know, comorbidities they're dealing with. And again, that doesn't mean we can't, excuse me, train. It just means that we have to edit what that training looks like to best work for you. That's it. It's really uh, getting comfortable with it, you know? Like we like we're we're saying, just building that habit, knowing how hard you can push yourself, and um, you know if you have something serious going on, going to your doctor and saying, "Hey, you know, how hard do you think I can push myself?" And then using that as your starting point and adjusting as you need to from there. So you d you definitely need to be aware, you know, especially heart and lung type type issues, you know, COPD, um, heart disease, that sort of thing. I mean, those are the big ones that we've just got to make sure. Yeah. You're like, just keep a, keep a running tab of how you're feeling as you're, especially if you're new and, and older, you've never exercised in your life. Yeah. Um, I think a, an important part of the education process for us is helping people realize what's bad pain and good pain, right? So yeah. if you've never worked out in your life and you're starting to feel a little burning in your muscles, sometimes that can be scary. Like, oh my gosh, I, you know, is that my heart? And being able right. to differentiate like a sharp chest pain versus a like, okay, my my pecs, my chest muscles are just really uh, working hard, sore, tired, you know, and, and pumped out. Yeah. Um, that's an important distinction to be able to make. Well, and you brought up pain. That is another consideration we have to make for golfers is have you had pain golfing in the past? Have you had pain yeah. working out in the past? And again, that's completely subjective to you. Pain is your experience. If you tell me something hurts, I have to believe that you feel that that thing hurts. Right now, we're just going to adapt what we do based on that. So if you say, hey, I've really had trouble in the past with squatting because it hurts my knees. That's information I need to have, because if you just grab some cookie cutter program that says, hey, you need to squat twice a week. You're like, oh, I can't squat twice a week. So how do I do that? I had a guy ask me yesterday. He goes, hey, you know, I'm 
he, the guy was giant. He was like six eight, Ooh. and he was like he was like squatting really bugs my knees. Older gentleman, so like squatting really hurts my knees, and so I really don't do a lot of it. And today you were talking about how squatting is a big part of people's programs, and I said, yeah. He's like, but the leg extension machine doesn't bother my knees. He was like, so is that an okay replacement? And I was like, yeah, of course. I, you know, again, some people will be like, oh, the leg extension machine, you're going to hurt your knees. Your patella is <laughs> going to come out. That's a bunch of bullshit, just so we're on the same page. If people can get a good workout in where I'm actually getting them to be able to build some quad strength and squatting is bothersome to them, maybe we'll introduce it in different ways using a chair or a TRX or I don't know. But it doesn't have to be that exact movement. And so if you've had pain doing any kind of movement in the past or golf has bugged you in the past, that will cause us to make changes to your fitness program. That influences what I'm going to prescribe you when it comes to things like hip hinges or deadlifts or any kind of pressing movements. You know, we're going to change things based on if you've had pain in the past. That's a very big consideration that sometimes people don't think of, or they just push through or they avoid. Oh, my elbow's really killing me, but I got to do this workout because it's what's prescribed. Or, uh, you know what? I'm just not going to do any of this stuff on here because it hurts me. I'm just going to do these three things over here. So we're either wasting time or not putting enough time in where we should when it comes to training, especially around pain. Oh, absolutely. There's for, for me, at least when I'm talking strength training with my clients, it's working your muscles until they feel tired. That's, that's the goal. We want your muscles to feel tired and we want to work in that zone where your muscles feel tired and then move on to the next thing and make those muscles tired. So however we can achieve that, it's all, it's, we can work around injuries or pain or any, anything else preferences. So that's, that's, I think the only other point I wanted to make for young versus old is as far as setting up workouts i think when you're with the younger folks like teenagers really or younger sometimes i mean i started lifting when i was 10 um you want to make it fun right so you want to kind of make some sort of a game out of you know you want to do your staples of your squats and your deadlifts but you also want to build some fun into the plan so um so it's not just boring they you want people to especially young people to associate exercise training challenging your body with a good positive experience atmosphere. Um, so, I mean, I do that with everyone, right? I want everyone to have fun, but it's definitely game making games out of it or competition, especially when you're younger is, is important. I think, cause I've had, I used to work next to uh, a a Bose office. So there were a lot of software engineers that would come in and they were just like, they couldn't care less if it was fun or not. They were just going to tell me what to do. I will do it according to protocol because that is logical <laughs> and we are good. <laughs> and then you get like a 12 year old kid coming in and they're like, I don't want to do like another 12 squats. And it's like, all right, well, let's just, I don't know, throw, you know, pick up this heavy ball and throw it around. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, we've got to make sure that you are looking at the person in front of you. I think that's where that customized plan comes in. Yeah. How old are they? What do they like to do? What have they done in the past? And, you know, what kind of a person are they? Are they serious and kind of logical? Are they more kind of creative and right. and fun and just making sure you're you're doing things that, that fit with, you, with who you are? There is no one size fits all. Totally. Sure, two people can do the same program. Tim and I can get on the exact same strength program and we'll probably see results. But is it the best results? Is it the optimal results? I had a guy yesterday that was like, dude, I did two years of training with this TPI guy and it just got kind of stale. So we did the same stuff over and over and over and over, which Tim and I both know in the rehab world, that's the name of the game is people do the same shit over and over and over and over. And that's, that's your plan of care. Hey, you got better. Well, it's been two months. They're probably going to get better anyways. But you have to understand that you do want to make it fun. It should be enjoyable. You should like to go to the gym. It doesn't mean you have to get there and love it. You're like just a gym rat, but you should enjoy the workouts you're doing. We can change every variable and movement known to man. There's a million ways to skin a cat. Well, guess what? There's a million ways to squat. There's a million ways to do a hinge. There's, there's a lot of different movement variations we can use that will benefit you, the golfer, that does not have to be cookie cutter right? It's just going to be inside of a realm, like some kind of squat, some kind of hinge, some kind of press, some kind of carry. All of that plays a role. So 
Tim actually mentioned something that's going to be kind of our next topic here, which is he was talking about how I want my guys' muscles to be tired. Our goal is that they get tired from movement to movement. What I want you guys to hear is he did not say, I need you to feel tired like your cardiovascular system, right? So let's talk a little bit about differences in goals with training, right? Because a muscle being tired per se and me feeling like I'm breathing heavy are not necessarily going to be in the same specter. Um, so let's let's chat a little bit about that, Tim. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between getting strong and improving my cardiovascular health. And are those the same? Should those look different? What, what would that be to someone that you were talking about this with? Yeah, I tend, I like to separate the two uh, to activities that get your heart rate up, that get you breathing heavy and get you sweating, right? So those are, and those fit in that bucket that we talked about last week with the physical activity guidelines that fits in that bucket mm -hmm. of the kind of moderate intensity. So you're, you know, that's still conversational, right? So if you're walking or running with someone, you could talk back and forth and not just be <laughs> panting out of breath and trying to get one word out at a time. Right. Or you can be doing that aerobic, like vigorous heart rate, getting, getting up there um, and that type of thing. So you, you want that, especially if the goal is, I mean, golf is a little different, but if you have some goal outside of golf of, for endurance, uh, like run a race or do a three-day breast cancer walk or, uh, you know, something along those lines, that's going to fit in. That, that aerobic, just physical activity is going to fit in very nicely. Yeah. Yep. 100%. And the important thing here for everyone to understand is that I, a guy asked me this yesterday. He's like, well, how many sets and reps should I do? What does that look like? So let's give you kind of a brief, broad talk on what that looks like. So when it comes to strength movements, you know, generally speaking, we're going to sit in the, especially for people that aren't looking to get max numbers, you know, really, I've only got one guy I train right now who really cares about max numbers. So what I mean by that is like a one rep max back squat or a one rep max bench press or a one rep max deadlift or a one rep max whip. That's really hard to say quickly like that. One I know, you kind of load me into a trance there. I know, uh, one one by that. <laughs> I don't have no habits. Anyways, so <laughs> one rep max uh, clean and jerk or snatch or any of those things where it's a one rep. Very few people, especially our older golfers, are going to do any of those things. So most of the time from a rep perspective, we're going to be looking at like the three to five sets of four to eight repetitions. That's mostly where I sit people. To be honest, four sets of six is where I sit a lot of people because it's pretty good volume. It allows them to recover. Mm -hmm. And for your average person, that works out. Now, that's very broad. I have some people that do 10 sets of four. And I've got some people that do three sets of 10. <gasps> three sets of 10. But generally speaking, when it talks to strength, we want to keep it south of eight-ish reps. Mm -hmm. um, because once you get beyond that, your muscles are failing verse. And that's because they're fatigued to the point of, you know, we've got some lactic acid buildup and they're not able to produce. So think of it like this. If you were to sprint as fast as you could, most people, by the time they got to 50 meters, maybe wouldn't be able to run any faster because their legs would feel heavy. It's not because their lungs are tired. It's that their muscles have produced so much waste at this point that they physically can't make them do anymore. So what we want in the gym is more of that when it comes from a strength perspective. We want you to feel like when you're moving the weight, you couldn't do a couple more reps, not because you can't breathe, but because your muscles are actually starting to fail. And so that's an important thing for people to understand. Now, when it comes to endurance, understand that for the golfer, the only thing or the, how much, okay, let's do this. Tim, how much endurance is necessary for a golfer period? What's the bare minimum if, you think is necessary for a golfer? Say if you're riding in a cart, being able to get out of the cart, walk to your ball and make whatever, 85 swings, whatever, whatever you're going to shoot. Right. And if you're, if you're walking, all you're going to do is add to that the whatever's required to walk that 18 holes. 
Boom. You guys just got the best knowledge bomb you could ever get. The base level of conditioning you need to play golf is either A, be able to get in and out of the cart, walk to your ball, walk back, and not have it hinder you for 18 holes. Or B, be able to walk the course for 18 holes without letting it hinder you later on. So that is a consideration we'll make with people is if they say, hey, from hole 12 to 18, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. We start looking at things like, well, what's your endurance look like? We also look at things like the weather. Here, it's 98 degrees right now. It's really, really hot. So what's your nutrition look like up to that point? What does your water intake look like? What's your electrolyte intake look like? Um, all of those things play a role, but those are important things to consider because golf is not a conditioning sport. It's not like running a 5K. You're not a cyclist. You're none of those things. We want to have a base level of cardiovascular ability, which is a very important thing. And I want you to be able to get some, especially from like a body composition standpoint, like it's good to get some in interval training in, uh, even if it's just on a bike where we're doing like heavy intervals or faster intervals for a short period of time. It's just good, generally speaking, for body comp and for your heart and lungs. Uh, but when it comes to just being able to golf, I just need you to be able to do the things we just talked about without making it affect your golf game. So we've talked about strength. We've talked about kind of cardiovascular work briefly. Let's talk a little bit about what it would look like to mm, – how do you want to talk about this? Power is always the big thing that we've discussed because golf is a power sport. So how does power fit in in our training with that little cardiovascular work and the strength work? Where does where does power – where do we sneak that in, Tim? Yeah, I mean, I usually sneak it in with um, – I'll do one kind of power or speed movement in like kind of the warm-up. I give most of my people like a five-minute warm-up of just getting your body moving before – whatever you're going to do. So like if you're squatting that day, you're doing some body weight squats, maybe you're doing some lunges, you're doing some, you know, just some movements to get your heart rate up, get your blood flowing. I'll usually put like a set or two of something in there where it's like a, a medicine ball slam or okay. throw or something like that. Right. Where they're just getting, you know, you're really targeting or emphasizing the fast, strong type two muscles right? Mm -hmm. The, the ones that are going to create force really quickly and that's going to help you produce, you know, more club head speed. I'll also throw those in at kind of the, I like to throw them at the end of a strength workout so you can get mm -hmm. your, you know, you do your five minute warm up or so you do your like two, two to three kind of main exercises for the day and get your muscles good and tired there. And then I usually follow it up with a little bit of kind of speed work, whether it's medicine ball stuff or pushing a sled or just uh, jumping in your backyard. Um, I, I tend to like it do it that way. Yeah. How about, how about you? Do you structure it any differently? So most of the time, so the way that I look at power, and this is the way that if you think of it, I want a hundred percent of whatever you can produce as fast as you can produce it, mm -hmm. right? The goal, the goal, all, and that keep in mind that that just means moving with intent. And so one of the things that I talk about a lot with people is even if I am doing say a back squat or I'm doing a goblet squat, cause that's used by a lot of people, your descent or when you sit down is going to be with good control. But when you go to stand up, I want you thinking in your head, how violently can I stand up with control but how violent can I stand up? Your intent is to move fast and quick, right? And remember, that's what the golf swing is. It is violent elegance. It is the ability to get that club back and swing with absolute speed, but it is controlled. And in the weight room, we mimic that by doing things at maybe not, you know, 100% isn't what our golf swing is. I don't ask people to swing as fast as they can, as hard as they can, because most of the time they can't control that. We might do that from a training perspective. If we want to, similar to what people have seen Bryson do recently, where he's trying to produce as much club head speed as he can. And by being able to do that, he naturally increases his 75% more than it was before. So, but other than in the gym, I want to emphasize how fast you can move something. So if it's a med ball slam, I honestly, in my mind, want you thinking, can I put this ball through the floor? Can I put it through the wall? Right. And your average athlete, a guy asked me this yesterday. He's like, well, you know, vertical jump, I know, has this big correlation to increasing club head speed. 
I'm 80 years old. I can't jump. I was like, you're right. I wouldn't ask you to jump. What I would ask you to do though, is if you're doing an exercise or like a, a body weight squat, maybe I want you to stand up as quickly as you can and get up onto your toes and just try to really produce force. When you throw a medicine ball or push it in the air, I don't know what it looks like. A very light implement, move it with as much speed as you can. So for me, I tend to put that right in the beginning of people's workouts or I couple them. So say one of the, so I'll give you the one that I did the other day. So it's a medicine ball chest pass into the floor and I go right into a dumbbell bench press at that point. So I will take a, so for me, it's like an eight pound medicine ball. I'll bend over. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how hard can I push this ball into the ground? So I slam hard as I can rest for about a few seconds, do it again two more times. Then I go directly into a dumbbell bench press, Mm -hmm. right? There's some research on being able to do something that's almost like priming the nervous system to produce speed. And that's what I'm looking to do. And then when I get to my bench press, it's not necessarily that it's slow and controlled the whole time. I'm down with control and then I'm driving out with intent. I'm trying to move that weight as fast as I can. That doesn't mean that that weight has to move fast but it means I'm trying to move it fast. I'm trying to recruit all of those muscle fibers to actually help me move that object. And so that is an important thing. That's what I look at as power is we are moving something with as much intent as we can. Ideally that's going to be light, right? Uh, Power, you know, so let's talk about absolute strength and power. So absolute strength is your power lifter, right? If they put 600 pounds on their back, It doesn't matter if it takes them two seconds or 60 seconds to stand up. If they stand up, they have the absolute strength to stand up, right? Power is a little bit different. That is the ability to produce something fast, right? It's a certain amount of weight quickly. That is your shot putter. That is watching the Olympics right now. I think shot put might've started today. Mm -hmm. Um, You're seeing people move an object that is actually heavier than people think as quickly as they can and as far as they can, because the heavier that becomes, you're not able to produce as much force into it because your body can't move quickly. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing I see people do in my gym, at least is they're doing some good exercises like, you know, med ball throws or something like that, but they've got a 20 pound medicine ball and you see them just lurching to heave this thing. And it's really not fast at all. So you're maybe getting, I mean, you're working hard, but if you're really trying to, you know, build some, some speed and, and some power, you're better off taking the eight or 10 pound medicine ball. I think Mike Boyle does a lot of, uh, college hockey players and, uh, pro hockey players. I think he only has 10, maybe 12 pound medicine balls in his gym. Maybe, maybe it's just not, he think he, he would rather, you know, work light and go as fast like you said just as fast as you can as hard as you can and just get you know get your body kind of twitchy and like used to just yeah making some force right and that is that's one of the big perks that we are actually let's let's use this as a better example it's one of the reasons why i don't like people swinging heavy things thinking that it's going to make them stronger in the golf game we've said this before we'll say it again the gym does not have to mimic the golf course. Your exercises do not and really should not mimic the golf swing. Because when you are, Tim just made a great point talking about heavy things. The heavier something is, your body has to produce a different motor pattern to be able to heave that thing. So when your body is having to do that, it's creating this new pattern that if you try to apply that to the golf club, it's not the same. That golf club will always weigh the same right? You need to leave golf for golf. Practice golf when you're on the course, when you're at the range with your pro. The gym, I don't need that to look like the golf swing, especially because if you're trying to do things that mimic the swing, your body's learning something new about how to use force. And a 20-pound medicine ball and a golf club are, are not the same thing. So that's why our goal is always speed. That's not making you have to heave something or it's making your body have to contort. It should be something where your body's able to maintain the mechanics that we want and yet still be violent, right? It's one of the reasons why the vertical jump is such a good predictor of club head speed because it tells me how powerful you are and all you're doing is moving your own body weight. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
So it's, it's, uh, I, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. Damn it, Tim. I know people keep walking by my front door and it keeps catching my, my periphery. And I'm like, who is walking by my front door? But eh, I lost Tim's it. Sorry. Don't, don't walk in Tim. Tim will get you. Mm-hmm. Tim will get you. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a, uh, it's definitely important to move with speed with move with intent. And it's, um, I mean, it's not always just about lifting something as heavy as you possibly can. That's a, no. that's a, you, we want you to challenge your body in mm-hmm. multiple different ways. That's really what it comes down to. And, oh, that's what, that's what I was going to say. Yes, let's go. Oh, here it is. We got it. The only way you're going to get better at a golf swing is swinging a golf club, right? So you might as well spend your time working on your swing when you're doing that, when you're at the driving range or when you're on the course. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in the gym, you know, doing things in your golf stance to try to stretch your hips out. It's probably not the best way to go about it. Why don't you just work on loosening up your hips or moving better or, you know, have a target, have an intention, do that. And then it'll, it'll carry over. Yeah. You know, then when you get over the ball, you feel, Oh wow. Yeah. My legs feel good and sturdy underneath me. Or, you know, when you do, uh, when you do finish your swing, if you're used to taking a little step, cause you lose your balance, you feel strong on that front leg and able to rotate around it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. there, there is our goals for the gym. There are goals for the golf course. They can Venn diagram maybe a little bit and overlap, but for the most part, I keep them separate. Right. Trainable qualities. All we want to do is improve the qualities that are seen in golf in the gym, right? If I make you really strong in the gym, you don't have to worry about that. When you go to the course, you're just stronger. And thus that can then be expressed when you swing a golf club. I don't have to make it look like it in the gym. That's the truest of true points. Um, That's where I get, I, I just get aggravated too with like, I'm not a swing coach, but there are a lot of swing coaches for some reason. I'm going to get on a little soapbox. I think they're fitness professionals Yes, where they're, you know, so they're giving you cool looking things that look like a golf swing mm-hmm. and it'll probably help you swing a golf club better. But it's not going to make you stronger because you can move, you already have the strength to move your body like that. So if, if you're looking for getting, you know, more mobile, more, more strong, um, less tired, find a professional like one of us, a trainer, someone that knows anatomy, they know exercise, they know the human body and they can tailor something to you because the only way to get better at a golf swing is swinging a golf club. That's what the golf pros are for. If you want to work on your body, that's what we know and do. That's what we're here for. Sure. Honestly, I think it's just so they keep coming back and taking lessons from them because once they start using some heavy implement and ends up frigging their swing up and mm-hmm. then they have to come back and they're like, ah, I can't figure my swing out. Ah, well, let's try this. Oh, your swing still sucks. Ah, come back and see me next week. You know, I love seeing some of these swing coaches, like the guy that I was doing the seminar with yesterday. He'll see you and be like, Hey, work on this for like a month. Yeah. Come see me in a month or in eight weeks. He's like, I need you to actually go work on the two things I just gave you to go work on. And let's mm-hmm. see how it works coming back. That's what, a co- that's what we do. It's like, yeah. hey, we're going to work on these things right now. I need you to get good at this. And then we can go up the ladder and make things more difficult or we can tackle some of the heavier things. But if you don't fix these two things or we don't get good at these two things, I can't give you the Ferrari. Yeah. You don't even know how to you know, ride a bicycle at this point. So, right. you know, we've got to start at a little bit of a lower level. Yeah, that's, so, that's the best. That's uh, my guy did the same thing. He's like, do not come back for at least a month. Yeah, you need to yeah. do this one thing, and until you can do it and it feels normal and you feel good about it, we're not changing anything. It's awesome. It's true. It's true. And there's no spinning wheels, no spinning rims, no crap. Nope. Good soapbox. Short lived, but a good soapbox. There you go. All right, so let's recap a little bit of what we just talked about. So considerations or training considerations for the golfer. Number one, you guys are probably not pros. If you are, cool. You're awesome and you're in the 0.001% of the world and you probably have a trainer that handles all this stuff. And if you don't, Tim or I are happy to help. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, for the 99% of you who this is really applying to, your schedules are different, right? So you don't have to work out 
as many times a week as Justin Thomas or Dustin Johnson or Bryson DeChambeau. You don't have to do the exact same training that they are doing. You need to do something that's specific to you based on your schedule and then based on your expertise. Are you someone who's lifted a lot or are you someone who's lifted not? Are you a novice or are you an expert? That's going to change how programming is done. And you should look at that objectively. If you've never trained, just getting in a couple of days a week might be the absolute best thing that you can do. Uh, beyond that, we talked a little bit about considerations if you're young versus if you're old. Older people are going to tend to have maybe some more comorbidities. We're dealing a little bit more with obesity or high blood pressure or uh, cardiovascular disease and heart disease and pain issues. All of that makes a difference in how you're going to be something or how something is going to be programmed for you. You might not do the same program as a 25 year old. Again, like I said earlier, who's full of piss and vinegar and can recover in two seconds. Those things make a difference. Pain was another consideration that we made. If you have you had pain in the past, our biggest predictor of future injury is past injury. So those are things that we have to consider when we get your training done. If certain things bother you, we have to be able to work around those. Um, other considerations, Tim, wrap ups, thoughts. No, that's it. I think that's an action packed, uh, an action packed episode. Plenty to digest. And longest episode so far, I think. Yeah. I think 40 minutes was our last uh, longest. So that was good. 10 extra minutes. You guys must have fallen asleep by now. (laughs) If they're still listening, but yeah, tons of good info. If you have any questions about anything we talked about, uh, you know, throw us a DM or, uh, you know, drop a comment on the bottom of this video and, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Love to talk about it. Love to help you out if you need something. So give us a shout, do it. Let us know. Give us some topics too. If you guys have topics you want us to talk about, yeah. drop them. We'll talk about anything. Cats, dogs, dinosaurs, golfers, whatever. That's it. We can, I, we can run the gamut. I'll talk about anything. Good. I gotta be like, I gotta be like Manolo, dude. We gotta get him on this. I don't know if it's possible, (laughs) but I I want him to come on here. Just be like, listen to me, Paros. (laughs) Maybe we can do a good job in here. I wonder if he's on cameo. Maybe we just go throw throw him like twenty bucks for a cameo. The Golf Strong Podcast, man. Do it. That's it. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, he's such a legend. I love Uh, that guy. He is. He's funny. Love that guy. It's awesome. All right, people. Well, as always, click that subscribe button. Click the bell notification thingy because subscriptions apparently mean nothing or something along those lines. I'm not new to this. The old YouTube thing's new. We'll get we'll get used to it. But drop us a comment. You guys got questions, concerns, follow us. As always, Tim can be found at, at travoto.golf. And you can find me at jackson.anchorforge on Instagram and on the bookface and all of those crazy platforms that you people use that's it oh yeah that's it peace bye y'all